0: Hello, I'm April Jones, and we at Jones Law Firm care about you, your family, and your well-being. That's why we've put together this informative webinar series to answer your questions about life, about the law, about your family. So thank you for joining us, and let's get started. get started, let's introduce ourselves, and let's start talking about the topic today, which is, the COVID-19 and parenting. So we're expecting a spike. We're seeing the results of spikes. We're seeing schools that were once open to the students coming to school. Um, the students are now being you know, told that they have to go to school from home. So I'm April Jones, Jones Law Firm PC. We've been in Colorado 20 years. I've been an attorney 29 years. And I have two of my fantastic team members on to talk to you today about what we've been experiencing as a firm with respect to COVID and to answer questions people are having about parenting during this time and what to do with the spike. Erin, how about you go first, introduce yourself, and uh, we'll take it from there.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Erin Young. I obviously work with April. I've been an attorney for almost 16 years, sorry I had to do the math real quick. Um, I got my start as a prosecutor and then transitioned into, into civil litigation. And I've been doing exclusively family law for the past just about five years at this point. So I handle all aspects of family law from child custody, divorce, grandparents, you name it, we handle it.
0: And what have you seen during the pandemic? Have you seen any changes since March?
1: Well, yeah, although surprisingly, not as many as I would think. I, my general feeling, just from my own anecdotal um, evidence, I guess, is that people seem to kind of be working their stuff out as it relates to COVID. There's always the, the, the typical family law problems, but as it relates to COVID, I think that a lot of them are coming to... You know, some kind of an agreement, some kind of comfort level as far as how families are handling their exposure. Okay, Stu.
2: All right, good afternoon. My name is Stuart Wallace. I've been an attorney for eight years uh, and I'm fairly new to Colorado, but I love it here and I'm happy to help Coloradans with their COVID parenting questions.
0: Okay. So we had people ask us, what were some of the pressing problems they had with parenting in terms of COVID? And so as Erin is saying, a lot of people are working out problems on their own, but that's typically what happens. There are people who work out problems on their own. The whole world doesn't flock to the court to help get a resolution of most of their parenting problems, but there are people who do. And that's what we need to talk about because there are people who can't co-parent by agreement with their co-parent. And that's hard. And when you have a pandemic, it's harder. And when you have a spike, it happens again. So we have been fielding questions. We put together a COVID parenting guide. If you don't already have it, um, message us and we can get you a copy um, sent to you or you can uh contact us through our website. Or you can put something in the chat. So it's a COVID parenting guide. Erin, why don't you talk a little bit about what's in the parenting guide? Because a lot of that is still super relevant right now. It, maybe even more so, because we found that during the pandemic, people were starting to work out problems, like things that made you very fearful, as as issues in the world became more clear. People's fears became more clear. You know, what do I need to fear? What don't I need to fear. So Aaron, why don't you tell a little bit about our COVID Parenting Guide?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, we put that together back in March and you know, here we are eight months later, um, or seven months later, eight months later. And it's crazy. Really, I would say just as relevant. And I don't know that really much has changed. There's, I think the crux of the Parenting Guide is really, you know, what what do we do when X happens, you know? And maybe X is that the school's closed. Maybe X is that one parent gets exposed to COVID. Maybe X is that one parent has COVID or that a child gets COVID or, you know, whatever it may be. Or, you know, a child or a parent is extremely immunocompromised and needs to be extra careful. So it turns out really all these months later, it's still pretty darn relevant. And what to do if you work in a higher risk field, maybe you work at a grocery store, maybe you work in a hospital, um, maybe you work at an urgent care clinic where your job all day long is doing nasal swabs for people getting tested for COVID. Whatever it may be, it really addresses kind of all those situations.
0: And what we're finding is that the people that Aaron just described for the most part are taking precautions and you're not seeing higher spikes in COVID in those populations. Now, back in March, we didn't know what we were going to see, Um, but now here it is October, November, here it is November, and we have seen those sorts of spikes. So that has, I think, has helped people be calmer in how they approach this. Um, Stu, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. And I think that uh, parents are really, dealing with a lot it's everyone's having to be much more flexible uh, with their day-to-day lives and their future plans than they would like to be (laughs) and the reason is they don't know whether their kids are going to be in person in school or at home uh really on a week-to-week basis because the school districts are changing their uh their mind about this um and with the holidays approaching we have a lot of clients Um, dealing with questions about what do we do for Thanksgiving, particularly if uh, the the two parents live in different states and the parenting plan calls for a child to fly across the country to spend the fall break with uh, one of the parents. And, you know, it's a difficult question, and it really is um, a question that has to be answered on a case-by-case basis because every family has different concerns around COVID.
0: And, and I think the court is starting to parse the concerns where there is something unique happening. When it seems to be just that one person is more uh, inclined to be fearful or more inclined to be conservative or more inclined to be relaxed, that doesn't seem to be moving the needle with the court. For example, we've got a question on here and I think either Stu or Aaron has a case similar to this. What do you do if both parents are opposite when it comes to education? I'm very strict with my kids. They're ages 11 and 13. I want them to attend remote classes. Yes. I want them to get their work done by the time it's due. Their mom has every other week with them. And when she returns them, they're unorganized and missing remote classes, missing assignments. And she wants them to be um, part of actually going into school. So what do you do in a situation where one parent wants the child to be a virtual learner and the other parent wants the child to actually go into the classroom? Now, the case that I had, the judge made the ruling that when school opened up and there was learning in the, the schoolroom, the parents were to, um, the kids were to go to school. So that judge was following the school. If the school determined that schools were to be open, the kids were to go to school. If the school determined that the kids were to work at home virtually, they were to work at home virtually. So the judge in that case basically took out the disagreement between the parents who took that out altogether and said, we're gonna follow the school district. And I think judges in the court system is more comfortable that the school has a handle on this and the school is looking at it and evaluating it. You see schools closing and sending children home. You see certain classrooms, send you know, all the kindergartners in classroom A have to go home, but the kindergartners in classroom B can can continue to, to go into the building. So I think as the courts continue to be comfortable with the decisions being made by the school district, and as we tend to get a better handle on the situation, you're going to see the courts going along with the school. But this question, talks about when there's an open school for where you can go in to learn and there's the option to stay home and work remotely. Erin, what have you seen in the real world with
1: this? Yeah, and I mean, I do, I have a case very similarly to that. And ultimately the parents were simply not able to come to an agreement. They they have joint decision-making. And so they're both right and they're both wrong. Neither one has any more power than the other. And so in their particular case, they just both felt very strongly as to their opinion. One parent obviously believed that the child should stay home and do remote learning. And the other believed that it was far better for the child to be in person. Um, so we ultimately filed a motion with the judge for at least some temporary decision-making as to schools and made our argument that, you know, in that particular case, I represented the parent who wanted the in-person option. And at that time, the school offered both, but the school could not accommodate a mix. In other words, the child could not be remote when she or he was with you know, the remote parent and, and then in person when she or he was with the other parent. So they did have to pick. Um, and so that's an example of a decision that simply could not be resolved despite the parents really talking it out and really attempting to reach an agreement. In that particular case, we don't have a res- resolution from the judge yet. So we don't know how it will be decided. Um, but I would say it's, they both have their reasons and they both have good reasons. And so it just was one of those that the judge needed to decide.
0: Now, Erin, with respect to getting it before the court, how did the court treat it? Was it an emergency? Was it just put in a regular docket? What were you able to do?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, We did not feel as though it was necessarily emergency grounds. In other words, we didn't think the child was in danger with either option. So we filed it as a a forthwith, meaning, you know, judge, this is really, really important. We need need you to look at it quick, but it might be kind of just below an emergency. And in that particular case, the judge uh, ordered what is called an expedited briefing schedule, which means that the judge offered the other side a much shorter period of time in which to respond. I think in that case, uh, the judge only gave the other side a week in which to respond versus the typical 21 days. So, however, in that case, there was a very specific date on which in-person school was to resume. So it wasn't kind of this amorphous in the future. It was on X date, this decision needs made. And so, you know, that may have played a role in why the judge addressed it in an expedient manner,
0: and I'm finding, and Stu, you weigh in on this also. The court is not considering your COVID, your general COVID concerns, to be emergencies. Um, I'm without something behind it, um, life-threatening, uh, immunocompromised parties where you can clearly see that someone is going to be harmed. The court isn't saying, "Oh yeah, that's that's endangerment." Um, I think the world has just progressed this is what we're living through right now. And so they're not being processed in general as uh, endangerment type cases, but Stu, what have you seen?
2: I think you're exactly right, April. It it very much depends on the particular risk to the particular family or in particular, the child. Um, If you've got a child who takes immunosuppressant drugs for instance, that may well be a very good reason not to send your child to in-person school because they are at much higher risk of having a a real life-threatening problem if they catch COVID-19. Saying to a judge that you saw there's a pandemic on the news is not enough. And, and we've had some of that as well, in particular with uh, two-state parenting plans. Um, in general, parents need to comply with their court-ordered parenting plan in the event they're having a disagreement, even though there is a pandemic and travel is more difficult and more risky than it was nine months ago. Um, it just very much depends on, it. you're right, April, you need a good reason that makes sense in the context of COVID uh, for COVID to be why you don't wanna comply with your parenting plan or, or why you want to pull your kid out of school, for instance.
0: And if you have a question about what is a good reason, give us a call. Stu was describing a case today that while he was telling me about the kid, I started feeling sorry for the kid and for the family and that's because they had a really good reason um so we can definitely be your litmus test about what would be a good reason what is endangerment what is concerning because the standard of care is still the best interest of the child and not a general child the best interest of your child so if your child has unique um circumstances unique criteria that need to be looked at don't ignore it we won't ignore it I we'll get that before the court the other thing that we've been seeing is that people are working things out, even with their lawyers. Erin, um, do you want to comment on some situations that you were able to work things out that initially looked like they were going to require court intervention?
1: Yeah, I um, it was probably over the summer. I had a client call in, and her concern had been that the opposing party was simply not giving the child back. the The woman, the 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 client had um, been dealing with, I can't recall if it was an exposure or a positive on COVID. And she was telling the other party, you know, what she'd been told from a medical advice standpoint as to when, you know, she was no longer contagious, when she could be around the child and the other party was just giving her a hard time. So she believed that she was going to have to get court intervention here. Um, ultimately, with a call to the other side, and a discussion about makeup parenting time, we were, we were able to resolve it without court, court intervention. And I do think that that's a possibility. And some, you know, perhaps having an attorney on board maybe kind of made the other side realize, oh, you know, she means business. So I, I do think that that's a possibility in a lot of cases that, you know, if somebody realizes they can't just kind of roll over the other side. But, I, you know, I do think with some, some good communication, a lot of these issues can be resolved.
0: And things, to the extent things have changed, you know, initially we had some cases where we wanted the court to do a restriction because the other parent was so exposed traveling and being not, not taking precautions at all. And the court was not taking up those cases. But what's important to know is that as the pandemic, if it spikes, if it goes away, whatever happens in the next day and days will continue to affect what's happening with the court and the decisions that are being made. Because if things do start to look grave, then the standard of what's urgent or not, it will, will raise as, rise as well. If things look like they're calming, it's the same thing. We're, we're gonna be ebbing and flowing with COVID until we're not. And you need to think of your cases that way. So if you're thinking, I don't have a case today, but something changes with the world and with the pandemic and with your child, you got to stay on that and, and keep checking in to see if, if things have changed and if you do have a case. So we don't want you to get too too, uh, too relaxed. Well, not relaxed, but we don't want you to not pursue something that might be an issue because you think the court's not going to do anything. As, as times progress, we need to really continue to evaluate what decisions we're making and what decisions we think the court may or may not make. Stu, what have you seen in your, um, your practice area? Because I know a lot of these questions will be covered by your answer.
2: Right, well, I agree with Aaron. I mean, these, these issues with COVID are so new for everyone that it really is best to contact a lawyer with your questions about what's going on in your particular family. I have a number of cases where one parent lives in Colorado and the other parent lives in California or Florida or New Mexico. And what we have done in those cases is worked out an agreement with the other party about how to co-parent through this pandemic. And in some cases that means missing some parenting time upfront and making an agreement to make it up at a later safer date. And in those cases, the parents, uh, you know, they start out disagreeing, and we have to dig into the details about why one parent doesn't want to put their child on an airplane from Florida to to Colorado. Um, And maybe in that case, they have a very good reason. They may well be living with someone who has uh, medical or health-related issues that make COVID more dangerous for them. Um, In particular, if COVID is dangerous for the child, then there needs to be an agreement that we can work out. I mean, there's always an opportunity for an agreement. And it is best if you reach out to us with your questions before you try to negotiate that agreement on your own. Um, You know, it's a tricky scenario. And we know that no parent wants to miss court-ordered parenting time. I mean, we, none of our clients want to give up their Thanksgiving break vacation with their son or daughter. And we're doing our very best to negotiate agreements that make sense for them in this context. And for some parents, that means like Aaron said, going and involving a judge and asking a judge to rule on this question as soon as possible. In other cases, we can work out an agreement that Addresses both parents' concerns about COVID and both parents' concerns about the time that they're going to need to make up because of what they've missed during COVID, and you know, there school is an important factor. Okay, the the courts think that kids need to be in school (laughs) because it's in their best interests, and so you know, if in your scenario it makes sense for the health and safety of your family or your child to miss some school. Okay, that is much more reasonable than if you appear to a court uh, to be using COVID for your own convenience. Okay, that's what we want to avoid. If you're able to go to the grocery store and the liquor store and your Facebook page shows that you've been in Aspen snowboarding, okay, Uh, that is not gonna look as good when you go to the court and say, I can't possibly send my child across the country because of covid um so it really is a case-by-case situation uh and these two state the two state parenting plans are the ones where i'm seeing uh, getting a lot of questions and seeing a lot of just bubbling conflict because um it is a complicating factor travel is harder and more dangerous than it was but and
0: we're seeing the rise because it's holiday time
2: Right. right. People
0: are having to say, oh, I'm supposed to have Thanksgiving or my kids supposed to be having Thanksgiving out of state. I don't want to send them on an airplane. And so when we do this seminar, when we do this webinar in February, um, we're going to talk about we'll be able to say what the court was doing with those holidays and what happened with airline um, air travel. Because right now, air travel is allowed. It's not CDC allows air travel. Um, you know, you wear your face mask, and you don't have a middle seat, and those sorts of things. I mean, the airline is taking precautions. I am curious to see if the court is going to be more restrictive than the CDC, than the airlines themselves, when airline travel is, is safe, um, safe enough to be allowed, safe enough to be happening. So I don't know that we've had any court orders on those things yet. Have we?
1: I haven't seen any. And just to be clear to everybody listening, if your orders say, you know, your ex or your child's other parent, you know, gets Thanksgiving, wherever that parent lives, that is the order. If there's a reason to fight that order, you know, you should absolutely reach out to an attorney. But in the meantime, compliance with court orders is extremely important
0: especially now that we're all learning to live with COVID, where it's not, you can't say COVID and have the car go, ah, oh
1: well, no. Right, and our kids are all used to wearing masks now, and we're used to wearing masks. None of us, you know, would consider, or for the most part, consider going into a grocery store without wearing a mask at this point, at least in, you know, the metro area. You know, I know certain communities are, are probably not quite as used to that, but, we are now used to taking these precautions and, and we've seen that for the most part, these precautions are, are quite effective. So, and I think the court is now also aware that the precautions are effective and definitely as Sue was saying, definitely does not want to see COVID used as a tool. Um, you know, they, if there's a real concern, they do want to address it. But if it is something just to kind of get an advantage in a case, I think they would have very little patience with that.
0: What can you do if the other parent does not take the virus seriously and takes the kids to the park or birthday parties where they can get exposed? The thing we got to unpack that question. Does taking the kid to a park mean you don't take the virus seriously? Does taking the kid right. to a birthday party mean you don't take the virus seriously? I think you have to delve into that at the is everybody you know are you social distancing did people get outdoors outdoors? did people get covid tested before the party like people are really coming up with workarounds now where you can't simply say there was a birthday party because the birthday party like you said could be outdoors and social distance um and i mean people are going to school people are going to the mall people are going to the store people are skiing so that in and of itself is not a buzz, those aren't buzzwords for getting the court to, to act. So it's again, we've got to look at it as your case is you know specific to your to your case. What if we get COVID in our home? What's the best way to navigate a household that has received a positive COVID test? Is it best to keep them in a separated room? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Hard yes. <laughs> if you want to at some point resume your life, then yes. And you know, and I can speak about this from relatively um, personal experience, but, but yes, that person needs to be quarantined. If the person is a child, then in, in caring for the child, the party should wear masks um, to reduce the spread. And so, you know, if it's a parent, and if you're the only parent, then that is tough. There's no denying that that is tough, but you've got to do everything in your power to minimize the risk. And so if you're caring for your child, wear a mask, have the child wear a mask. Um, You know, don't sit close to them during meals. And, you know, these are really easy things to say with, you know, a bigger child, recognizing that if it's a baby or a toddler, you simply can't sit six feet away at a meal, but maybe you could be wearing a mask while the child is eating and then you eat later when the child is busy doing something else so that you're not both unmasked at the same time. But, but yes, I mean, the easy, quick answer is yes, isolate as much as you can.
0: And I mean, we're not medical providers. We're not the CDC. There is so much information out there about what you do when someone has COVID in your home. It's happened all the time now, right? And so there's information, just follow the the guidelines, follow the distancing guidelines, follow the safety guidelines.
1: Follow your school's guidelines. If your kids go to school, you're gonna need to report the exposure. The school nurse or somebody there will will very likely tell you what you need to do as far as, okay, your child can return to school when it's been 14 days since the last you know, close contact with that parent or with that person. So yeah, listen, as April's saying, listen to the guidelines, the rules, um, listen to people who know about this.
0: (laughs) And overall, we are encouraged that in terms of the family law divorce community, the people that we work with and see that people are figuring out ways to get through this COVID times. You know, we're not seeing families implode because of this, now people are working their way through it the way we are in all these other areas of our life. Um, you know, we're just being resilient and we'll just need to continue to be resilient. But if you need any help with this, if you do need court orders, the courts are open. They're holding court. They're hoping, holding court by something called WebEx, which is similar to Zoom. So, court can be held safely. It's not being held up, it is happening. So, if you need some help, please give us a call, DM us. Um, email us, text us, and we can take your questions and we look forward to it. So thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, Check out our webinar where we go through the COVID guide in detail and get a copy of it. Okay, so have a good afternoon. Thank you everybody for joining. Thank you, Stu. Thank you, Erin. Good luck, everyone. Yep. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this webinar. If you or someone you know would benefit from watching a recording of this webinar or any of our other webinars, they can be found at denverdivorceattorneys.com. Thank you and keep a lookout for future live webinars and I hope to see you again.